It's filmsy. Our hopes and thoughts are with everybody. We're going to keep it light and have fun tonight. We're going to talk about what we're watching when we're all at home. We're going to give you guys some things to watch or think about. Tell us what we're interested in and talk it out. I've got Justin, I've got Charlie. We've had a great conversation pre-show. Boys, what in your mind is your favorite pandemic, post-apocalyptic television show or movie? Well, before we get to that, I just have to say that in that little... 10 second cushion you gave us there all I could think of is you know in Wayne's world when the guy's like you got to count down and you don't say the last <laughs> you don't say the last like five four three you know the hand signals I'm imagining Spice doing the hand signals <laughs> man I am never gonna be able to keep up with you two guys on like <laughs> shows or the movies and so like if i give you anything it's gonna be like way old and i guess that's off the perfect. top off the top of my head it would be a movie and that's 12 monkeys ah you yeah. stole my answer charlie yeah oh beautiful <laughs> sorry man great movie the the time travel and the anyway I no don't know what... it's uh, that's yeah. absolutely yeah it's uh it's got that great blend of creativity and great performances and a great story just everything works about 12 monkeys like it's it's not the most realistic of films like it's it's not like when you're talking about pandemics of course like the probably the most recent example that most people are talking about is contagion which is another really good movie mm-hmm. it's trending it's my apple tv it's like one of the top rentals right now which i can't fathom like why are people watching this right <laughs> yeah would they want to just get themselves out even more they're trying to get i guess they're trying to get tips like what do i do you know <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's Terry Gilliam at his best. Like in my mind, he was especially a guy who was coming from formerly being part of like Monty Python. There's something that's so off kilter about it that is immediately engaging, where you recognize it as what could possibly happen a world ravaged by a virus, whatever it is that happens. But also, it's slightly off. Like, uh, but it there's this like creative bent to it that is distinctly Gilliam style, I guess, in the same way that like Brazil was. That you could in a, in a world that is like extremely capitalistic, like where corporations run everything in the world that he created in this far future of Brazil, it's like the same that he imagined for that world. He just took that and applied a virus to it. And then he just made this great, beautiful, like so specific film that is, it was the first time I ever noticed Brad Pitt as well as just a tremendously talented actor. Charlie, what was similar for you about 12 Monkeys? It was pretty cool. <laughs> Surely, Man. you've seen, even if they're older movies, I know you've seen yeah. a lot of pandemic-type stuff, so what will make that stand out to you? Uh, I mean, okay. So, Did you see Outbreak, Contagion? Yeah, that was a long time. I saw Outbreak, it was a long time ago. I know I saw, you know, like I Am Legend, there's this, you know, virus that's making them, you know, like zombies or vampires or whatever. Right. I mean, do we yeah. want to open it up to those worlds as well? I mean, we could talk about like Mad Max. We could, like any sort of post-apocalyptic world, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, it just stood out to me because it is, it is such a striking film. There is definitely some surreal 
realism to it and you don't quite know is you know is he crazy or is he not but then there's it really seems like he's the balance seems to shift toward him being not crazy yeah i i really love it, it was the one of the first movies that i ever saw that i really was really struck by the big twist at the end right because like he's he's going down this rabbit hole of following this like eco-terrorist group yeah that brad pitt is a part of and then at the end it's like it's not that at all it's it's just this i, I like yeah the way the way that it all unfolds is was like eye-opening for me at the time especially a, the group that we the age group that we're a part of right and that we grew mm-hmm. up in those sorts of twists weren't really part of like what's expected like it is now like with what m night Shyamalan does or whatever where everything is expected to have a twist every big mystery yeah yeah that was that was really seminal for me and my uh i'm gonna throw you guys a bit of a curveball maybe but i know both of you have seen parts of this but a few years ago i i just kind of became really literally fascinated with last man on earth because i thought the ambition behind will forte's um television show that was on fox can't believe that was on a network i I think he was literally trying to make the ultimate good bad television show there are parts (laughs) of that mostly we're like this is a bad show i don't want to watch him he's sort of awkward and (laughs) indescribably like painful to watch but there are moments where he just delivered and it's just like the funniest best stuff that was on tv at the time and sort of the backdrop is of course there's a virus that kills 99.9 percent people on earth there's just a small cast of people left and that's the ensemble for four seasons it's really makes you think about if something like this happened the virus wouldn't be choosy it wouldn't leave astronauts or terrific people it would just leave maybe people that haven't found their footing in life that to me i'm literally watching that right now and i'm going back and watch it i've had a hard time finding people to watch that with me over the years i know i've asked both of you about it and our friend Jacob and my friend Alyssa I talked to her she's like I'm kind of glad we're not still together because yeah I know you're watching Last Man on Earth I don't want to watch that show again. <laughs> so it's just like great so I don't know like have you guys seen that show and is there something that's kind of calling like you know I kind of want to watch that again because it's actually not totally but weirdly relevant I, I think I only watched ever maybe like one episode because honestly I can name off a lot of things that we've watched but we don't we get to like maybe like one one 30 minute show a night and you know the way netflix is you have like a a show that has a season with six 30 minute episodes and every year and a half so it'll sound like we've watched a lot but we don't really watch much tv there's just a lot else going on i mean i watched it once it was all right i don't remember thinking it was bad <laughs> what the heck I don't know. That sucks. We'll give him a minute. Uh, he kind of went, Meh. he made a weird noise, but. I don't know what happened. Because, I, I mean, I can hear him fine. So. Hey, the, uh... Charlie. I'm not sure what happened, but we lost you. So thanks for coming back on. Justin was our link. Yeah. He's, he was. <laughs> holding everything together. Right? He, was, he was my constant, like Penny. <laughs> <laughs> So Netflix doesn't tell us a lot about what we're watching and everyone's watching, but they've started now ranking uh, the most popular shows. We can take that for whatever it's worth. Pandemic-related television shows, documentaries, and movies are all the rage. Is that people's curiosity? Does that surprise you guys? And we'll start with you, Charlie. Does that surprise you? And is that is that a good sign or a bad sign? If this was like a big change in the last 
four or five weeks, it would surprise me because, you know, we're living it. Why do you, I don't see like any reason to be fascinated because people usually seem to be drawn toward these sort of situations they haven't lived. But I mean, it's not, it's not something that's uncommon. There's been, you know, countless movies and series that if not if not centered on a pandemic or in some way like post-apocalyptic i don't know if it's people just wanting to see the usual way of the world suspended what if things were different you know what if uh, the normal rules of of society and behavior didn't apply maybe that's what's going on there i really think any interest in shows that are centered on a pandemic probably could be subsumed into interest in shows of that nature especially the kind of post-apocalyptic genre natural disaster movies even like something is happening and we all feel it now right we're living in it that this is different than anything we've ever experienced normal expectations do not apply like my my car's registration expires this month. You know, I could go out to get groceries late next week. And I could be pulled over for having expired registration. And I'm going to say, hey, what am I supposed to do? Am I, you know, am I supposed to like risk my health and that of other people to, to, to go and get this thing done? And you kind of expect that a police officer is going to give you some leeway on that. Would those offices even be open? I think there's a lot of things that we haven't really even... Oh, yeah, they're open, they're open here in Nashville. They're showing these lines, and you're thinking, why is this... I understand why the people are standing so close to each other. It's because, like, they don't want to get <laughs> broken in front of. And actually, they have, like, just recently changed it to where you go in, you get a number, and you wait in your car. But uh, still, like, I'm not going out unless I have to for food or something no, like that. you shouldn't. And yeah. that is insane that that is still yeah. something that people are expected to do right now. Yeah, I mean, and so that's what I'm saying is like, I think we, I think oftentimes people, they feel, I guess, disillusioned with the minutia of daily life and the way the world is. And, and they want to see, they just want to break from it. They want to step outside of it. You know, what if I didn't have to go to my job? What if I only, all I had to do was survive today and that's all I had to worry about, you know? It's the reason why some, a very few number of people, a very small number of people become survivalists. When you step back from your own situation and you think like about the pros and cons of modern life obviously the the pros outweigh the cons or most of us wouldn't be doing this you know we have modern medicine because of the sort of society we live in that traps you into a job you have to go to for 40 plus hours a week but i think people the people get they get really they can get overwhelmed they get tired of the same old same old the the proverbial rat race they want to escape it they want to think about the sort of freedom that a, a total breakdown society as we know it would provide yeah, Justin, do you agree I, with Charlie that it's that at this point more curiosity and a break from monotony than it is paranoia now? I, I, there's probably a good mix of both. It's going to depend on who you're talking to. Yeah, there is. I mean, I am way too online for this conversation. Like it's it's right now. It's just like I I read Twitter or whatever, and I see like it, it's a it's a mix of people who are giving these detailed threads of you know what the what this all means how it relates to history how it relates to you know what we know about pandemics and then there are other people who are just being very glib uh like it's all 
not a joke, but just like how we how we how we even begin to address an issue like this, right? Like it like there has to be some level of of levity, but I don't I I can't actually see where we go from here and how it relates to what we have thought about it in the past. Like I like you think about these things cuz I I mean this is our podcast is about pop culture, right? You think about these things in terms of how how we've seen it addressed in various uh, in various ways in movies, TV shows, whatever. Whether we're talking about again Twelve Monkeys or where it's like actual eco terrorism, or if it's like Twenty Eight Days Later, where it's just some virus ravages the world, and you know you're you have to become a survivalist or else you die or how we think about these things and how it actually relates to how we're addressing it right now i think it it's going to be i mean assuming we all survive whatever happens right i mean this is it's got like a coronavirus has 3% mortality rate and if it's you know if we assuming we take the right precautions shut it down then you know maybe this will be the end of it maybe this will be just like the past epidemics that we've had in in history and we can look at it purely through that lens or the way that we're reacting right now really is how do we how do we separate those things from our our view of what we know about humanity viewed through the lens of pop culture what we need through the lens of how we live our day-to-day lives and what we think we'll need when we as we try to be a survivalist in whatever that means to us at any given time it's uh it's a really interesting dynamic that i think will be studied for generations beyond us like this is a real moment in history that we're living right now yeah, I, I think the lack of information is more apt to make people panic. And, and sure, people have been panic buying toilet paper. And, and, and it is true that probably, you know, seeing empty shelves on social media probably leads to more of that behavior. At the same time, I think the more people know about it, the more facts that they know about it, the more that they feel like they have a handle on it, the more f- they feel in control. Um, you know, a lot of times the old, the old maxim that knowledge is power is, is literally true. And even when it's not, it at least gives you the illusion of power. So the more in control people feel, the, the less likely they are to, to panic, you know. And the less stress they're going to experience, too. Honestly, I think it's it's probably going down better now than it would have in the past. I mean, I, I, I don't know about a lot of other pandemics, but I do know that, you know, the, the, the plague that swept through Europe in the, in the 14th century, you know, it killed off like a third of Europe's population, which is a lot worse than this. But, you know, people... People just abandoned the cities, you know, through, they just completely threw off all like restraints. People were like getting together and having orgies and stuff. We're talking about like medieval Europe because, you know, for as far as they were concerned, it seemed like the world was ending, you know, and like everything was breaking down. And of course, yeah, European civilization survived that. And our, our civilization has a much better chance of surviving this. So it's not as bad as it could be, but it doesn't mean it's, you know, 
doesn't mean it's not bad uh, because probably somebody you know is going to die from it. You know, I'm scared to death that my kids are going to lose a grandparent from it. Yeah. I, I think yeah, that's probably. what resonates with me and kind of keeps it from being a curiosity because you, you just look at Italy and uh, you, you know who is vulnerable. Justin, do you agree? It might be worse 20 years ago or has some of this more casual information kind of served to feed the paranoia? And do you agree with Charlie that the silver lining is maybe a possible orgy? <laughs> I agree that it's probably better now than it would have been in any past age in terms of how we are able to react to it and the information that we're able to have i i mean there's 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 two sides to that right like our technology and our advancements have allowed us to travel and spread it much more easily than would have been available in the past but our information is also more more robust and our our information gathering techniques are uh, more efficient whether we use those or not is still in question like whether it actually causes uh, maybe more paranoia more fear is actually a good thing like the fact that we know about it the fact that we know what the statistics are and who it affects i think is ultimately a good thing because when it comes to these sorts of events i mean overreaction is the correct reaction right like we want to make it seem like we overreacted yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know about overreacting is is the correct reaction because that's what leads to people you know panic buying at the grocery store right but i see what he's yeah. getting at with, I, yeah, I understand no, I'm, i mean they're yeah, closing uh, schools in places where they have no oh yeah confirmed right, cases right. the that's thing probably is probably appropriate because if italy could, yeah. if italy could go back and do it they they would do the same thing that's the thing though is it is it is is not an overreaction because people are people are gonna die and fewer people are gonna die if we do it this way and that I'm, yeah yeah yeah, no, I'm, I, I meant yeah. overreaction in terms of like how we as a society and culturally, like not as an individual react to yeah. it. I mean, that, that paranoia can be, is going to cause problems. Mm -hmm. But in terms of closing down schools, uh, doing a, yeah. uh, making sure that everybody stays indoors for a certain amount of time. And I, I think that is the correct reaction, like the governmental restrictions that, that are put in place. The more, the better. How do we all feel about the guy on the news being like, uh, well, I might give coronavirus or I might not, but it's not going to stop me from partying. Uh, you talking about the, the, the Florida guys? Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. Incredibly irresponsible. It's selfish. And I think almost all yeah. people just consider any kind of reaction like this brazen thing. It's like, well, that's fine for you, but what about your grandmother? What yeah. about uh, the dominoes and the sixth or seventh degree of the people you can affect? You gotta remember, I, I'm in secondary education, so I'm just not surprised at all to hear some hear a yeah. guy of his age saying something like that. No, absolutely. Like yeah. I absolutely think that that guy is an idiot, and <laughs> all of his friends are idiots. At the same time, I cannot say that I would not be saying that exact same thing in my early twenties. <laughs> oh yeah, we were all idiots 
narcissists no. at that age. I, I, I can't speak to that because I didn't have a spring break experience. Yeah, yeah. Like like some people in this conversation. I can just, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, I would have been on that level based on uh, solely on the experiences that I've had. My particular upbringing, I don't think I would have I would have been there. But I can't say that if I were in his situation that I would have reacted any differently. Justin, you watch a lot of television and a lot of film. This is a time where we have time on our hands. And I know you've been asked, I've been asked, hey, what are you watching? What should I watch? What is something fun to watch even by yourself or maybe with your family? What's your top picks for everybody? Oh, man. That's a difficult question because there's a lot. Like we don't know how long this is going on. Are we talking about something that's gonna be that's gonna sustain you for a number of seasons? Are you talking about something that? So it's clean? like, is this a Dirty John pandemic or <laughs> is this a Game of Thrones pandemic? <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. How much time are you willing to commit to this pandemic? This. <laughs> Let's see. So right now. I gave you a list earlier. I'm going to have to stick with some of those, I think. So I've been watching The Outsider, which is great. Probably one of the best Stephen King adaptations I've seen so far. As slow moving as that is, it's just got this creepy feel, like a slow hand over your shoulder. And the acting in it is outstanding. I love any opportunity to see Mendelssohn play a protagonist instead of the usual villain that he always is, which he's great at, but like him playing kind of against type as a protagonist. And I love the way that this story kind of grounds it in the reality of like almost a procedural, right? Like it it seems like it could be on law and order or something, if not for the very subdued supernatural elements to it right like they're there and they're very obvious but the way that it interacts with this very grounded realism is just is just great i love it it's purposely procedural Uh, stephen king has said that and he likes to intersect two lanes and this is a procedural detective show meets his supernatural normal sort of what if what if there was a murder and it could not be logically explained by evidence and so they dig deep into the procedural crime show and i just think the intersection of those two things is besides the acting and just how well it's shot and hbo obviously gave them just a license to do do it their own way it's just it's just really outstanding oh yeah absolutely and if you go to watch that and it's a little slow moving for you please don't don't give up on it and at this point i don't i don't want to be insensitive about people's budgets but i think now would be the perfect time to spend 15 dollars a month for hbo there's a lot of stuff to catch up on the outsider alone i think is going to be kind of worth worth the cost of, of admission uh what, oh, yeah. what else would you would you recommend uh to folks that you've seen recently so westworld just restarted i am very fascinated with where they're taking that show i was surprised by the first season with with how far they were willing to uh or the first and second season with how far they were willing to take it because it seemed like a, a premise that could actually have have lasted a long time just based on the first season alone right like they could have taken that first season and stretched it out into just the west world version for a long time but the fact that they've taken it where they have now 
and I know it's a much different show from when it started, and I give them credit for the ambition of that. It's an ambitious show, just anyway. Right, exactly, and I uh, and that's something that I've that I admire just inherently is like even if even if a show doesn't quite work on all levels i love when it has ambition and that is a show that keeps me keeps me watching because of it even if it doesn't always work all the time but uh but i love it what else oh uh devs which is uh i think four episodes in on uh fx uh i've been watching it on hulu it's uh from the mind of alex garland who i've been a big fan of for a long time tell me some about that show i'm not familiar with that one the main character is a a girl who works as she works in encryption for a software company out in um, Silicon Valley somewhere. It's kind of nondescript about those sorts of things. You just assume it's kind of out in the San Francisco area. Right? They're working on very progressive, like modern, like future thinking technology with quantum computing. And her boyfriend gets a position in their their research and development team, which is just called Devs, their Devs team. He ends up dying uh, presumably by suicide based on the evidence that is given to her and then the mystery expands from there i don't want to give anything away but it is like alex garland is one of those writers and directors who's just like no matter what he does his past films or most recently annihilation and before that ex machina like he's always thought-provoking in technology and future looking towards the future and where we can take that and what the implications of those sorts of things are from a from a human point of view and i am always fascinated by the questions that he raises even if i'm not always satisfied by the answers he tries to give and sometimes i think that's kind of the point just always fascinated by him and i think devs is well worth the time what's your guilty pleasure somebody just doesn't want to think of this is obviously a time where we just kind of want to watch something really dumb or maybe not even dumb just kind of light i'm gonna give you mine i made a joke about it earlier two years ago i listened to dirty john the podcast i thought it was outstanding i know a lot of us have listened to that on a long trip and it just I made it fly listen to it with you uh, on the way down to florida i remember absolutely <laughs> we did and it's part wow this happened and you judge the um the the mother like how could you put your family in danger and you think about the psychology of romance and how people can be absolutely irrational to a fault to a to a dangerous degree when i found out they made the movie i just thought well i'll cash in on a movie it'll be a lifetime-esque and it is but honestly it's like sometimes you'll see a genre and it's like boy they nailed it that's the to me that's four part series is like the consummate best like a lifetime movie could possibly be connie Britton's good in it eric bain is outstanding in it i mean literally he's outstanding in it it depicts some pretty tricky characters no it's not oscar worthy but it is just think of like if there was an excellent lifetime movie to me that's what it is have you seen dirty john the television show i haven't watched the show no yeah, of course, I listened to the podcast with you, but uh, I have not watched it. I heard, actually, the same things that you were saying, that it's uh, kind of Lifetime-esque. 
things you think of. I mean, of course, like Connie, Connie Britton is great, and I've, she's outstanding. I've, yeah, yeah, and I like Eric Bana as well. He's a great actor. Love him and everything that I've seen him in. But no, I haven't sat down and watched a show yet. You have from this podcast what you need to watch, and I'll be I'll be looking forward to what you think because I think you'll agree with me. And I'm telling you, it's sort of like eating your favorite food that you know isn't great for you, but you know you don't eat every day. <laughs> it is like getting an eclair from the deli, and it's like, well. Uh, usually I like to eat more better stuff, but it is delicious <laughs> and it's I, extremely enjoyable. Is somebody uh, going to call you and be like, hey, what do you have for dinner tonight? It's like, well, I had ice cream for dinner, but I don't want to tell you that. It's like, that's ice cream for dinner. It's very fun. And I think in times like these, we have Eric Banya and, and Connie Britton to thank for just some really good and just the story. And they, they do it justice. It is a fascinating story and they do a really good job because I always thought it'd be a little ambitious to do uh, as a movie so I think the way things are now to be these limited series it's perfect that they can say because that's not really appropriate for like a television show but two hours is not going to do it justice so the way they did it and the way that that vehicle is sort of acceptable now thanks to just streaming and internet services that's a course on netflix i just think it's it was the perfect time for that to be made and that's and that's one of those shows that's like it kind of proves the point right about why these shows are even made because you think that you know, like how could people behave this way how could people react this way how could people not know that this that this guy was who we think he is and yet this actually happened like this oh, is how shot these for people shot actually happens. reacted oh like, this stranger is- than fiction absolutely it happened yeah and it's like hey the guy was wearing ratty <laughs> the guy's wearing ratty scrubs you didn't see where he lived it's like how could you possibly let that happen but we've all had lapses in judgment a lot of it kind of relates around to you know sometimes romance so it does explore that to a degree because it's easy for us to be like are you nuts your grandchildren your daughter was almost murdered by this person it's a thousand wonders that she wasn't so it's just incredible to, to think about that but boy it's just juicy and, and great so please uh, it's so weird for me to say that it's probably my ultimate thing just find a loved one that you're quarantined with and watch dirty john on netflix <laughs> you, you will not regret it it's it's good even if it's normally not kind of what, what what you enjoy uh, i'm like you i really enjoyed the outsider i've watched mrs fletcher i know we've we're going to hbo heavy and i would encourage you on amazon prime 15 bucks a month month a month uh, i think that I mean, that's a good deal because you watch what you want, then you move on from it. Mrs. Fletcher, I think you have to, for me, I don't like a lot of inappropriate things. It's an inappropriate show. You wouldn't watch that one with the kids. But it makes a singular point about how pervasive some things can be and how you can have blind spots in, in certain ways and be offensive and not know it and be... And I just think uh, the performances in it are, are really, really good. So have you seen Mrs. Fletcher? What did you think? I like Catherine Hahn a lot, but I have not... No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't watched it. No, I'll I've only ever seen list. her in supporting roles, and her uh, she belongs as a lead, and she proves that, and she's good. Yeah. But you, it's sort of like Fleabag that you have to watch it in a moral context. If you take it just kind of at face value, like, wow, this is 
uh, more inappropriate than I would typically like. If you see there is a moral uh, sort of point they're making, if you watch it from a larger point of view, I, I think it makes a really good point. It reminds me, I'll just say uh, pornography is like a heavy theme in it. And so it reminds me of Don John, which I think people watched that movie from about eight years ago on its face. And it's like, wow, but it's a guy who's clearly struggling with an addiction to pornography. And if you look at it at that context, I mean, it's a lot really good moral silver lining about how there are some things that are controlling our life and we or decisions that we make and we have no clue because we're inside of it. Yeah, Charlie, tell me what you thought of Miss Fletcher. It was a really good show. Surprising depth given you know, given what the the surface like theme of the show was. But uh, I think the the sort of the foil provided by her son, the comparison of her son's his his perception of sexuality. Yeah, as compared to hers. Un, and his unwitting yeah. sort of reliance on pornography as sexual education yeah. parallels her in the same way. Obviously it seems different, but she struggles with the same thing. And that leads to unrealistic expectations and blind spots of kind of what your partner would want or what your expectations should be. And like you said, the premise is simple. The ambition of it is outstanding. I don't know that uh, I referred to um, to Justin earlier. It reminds me of Fleabag in that way. You can watch Fleabag and there's an inappropriate, hilarious joke every 20 seconds in Fleabag. But if you look at the aggregate, if you take a step back, there's a lot of moral ambition and, que- and questions there. I, I found Miss Fletcher to be similar and I found Catherine Hine to be someone I've not seen in a leading role before. I found her to be outstanding. Yeah, she is fantastic. There's obviously a lot of people, they found this podcast, they're looking for things to entertain them and I think this is an important time for that what would you recommend to folks to get on netflix hulu amazon prime hbo what is the best use of time for people that we just have time more on our hands now what would you recommend well there are several things that i could recommend and i will but i mean just from my like personal subjective experience the only thing that that has really been addicted and i know i'm kind of behind behind the times in this is um Game of Thrones. I watched it last year. And, you know, basically once the show was already over, I didn't start it till it was done. Yeah, it was it was the only show that I've encountered in years that I just I just couldn't stop thinking about, you know, wanted to watch the next one, wanted to watch the next one. But, you know, once you get past that, there are other, there are other things as well, right? Yeah, um, what's the defense for the amount? Uh, to me, it's in its ambition and length of time, it's like lost because you have to really go through a lot. I've watched three or four episodes of it, and I found it gratuitously violent and overly sexual. Now, that makes me sound like a prude, but I mean, just it. And I know I've heard that that levels out a bit, but what in a caption, Charlie, what's the defense for the time that it would take to work through that? Like, what is the absolute silver lining and redemptive characteristic of that show i can address that i want to address the two issues you brought up first i have not read the books although i intend to soon because i, I want to get caught up for, for when the, the series is finally completed so i don't know if this is really true of the books as well but you mentioned how uh, all of the the sex scenes and everything it's like a lot in the very kind of early seasons of the show and it kind of levels out later on that seems to be sort of a, a it's definitely true of the books <laughs> okay <laughs> it's a common characteristic of a lot of tv shows in, in this sort of like world that we're talking about hbo and so on is they use it as a hook they get you in on that and or at least that's their idea anyway and then you know once you're like heavily invested in the show they don't have to rely on it as much and i see like 
how that's kind of utilitarian. With regards to the violence, I mean, I'm not a great lover of, of, of violence or anything like that. But at the same time, at the same time, studied history enough, ancient history, medieval history, even modern history, you know, people have done stuff like that to people throughout history. And, you know, anybody who's walking around not knowing that stuff like that has been done and is still being done to people is living in a dream world, you know, and to some degree that's dangerous. For example, like people who think that really it's not such a big deal if someone says the N-word, for example, because they don't, they haven't really thought through like the outcome of, of systemic racism. And they probably have never read a, an account of a lynching, which I have, and they are horrific. And it's Game of Thrones level kind of stuff. You know, it's like uh, I read a description of this man being burned alive and his blood vessels popping and people could hear them popping and him just screaming, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. People, human beings have done just barbaric, awful things to other human beings throughout our history. And if you don't know that, then you may think it's not such a big deal when racism's on the rise, when, you know, the far right is is kind of coming out of the woodwork. But it is, because ultimately, you know, what happened in Germany in, in the 30s and 40s of the last century uh, happened because originally there was this, this latent anti-Semitism that had been around for centuries because there was this group of people who were different. When bad things happen that people can't understand, they look for a scapegoat. So, you know, the plague in the Middle Ages or the Great Depression in the 30s. It starts with them just saying, these people are not real Germans. They, we need to get rid of them. We need to get them out of our country. And we need to take away their rights, you know. But it ends with the Holocaust, you know. <laughs> I know you've been talking a lot about Jojo Rabbit, which was fantastic. It's a great film. It's beautiful, but it's it's also like I just was I was very affected by it. I mean, it, it was kind of a bummer for me to watch. That sounds yeah, because you know there's yeah. a group of population of people that can be innocent and think yeah. just what they've been told. And before you have cognitive learning, you you're told, and then you can still be innocent yeah. and still have be part of this yeah. horrific thing that's happening. And, well, and it also, underscores yeah. that so much. There were these people that did these things and that, you know, that kids lost their parents. They lost their friends. They lost their grandparents. They saw them mutilated and, and executed before their eyes. That's not something that any child or any human being of any age should ever have to endure. To me, like, I, I, and I can't speak to this being the case for everybody, but that's how I experienced the violence in Game of Thrones is this is really messed up these people that are doing these things they need to meet justice essentially so i would agree with what he said about game of thrones in particular <clears throat> the way i can completely understand why people would be turned off from it in the first season by its gratuitous violence and it, it and its uh and its sexuality and just everything being really explicit, it is a way to set up a world that is, it's very much, uh, the way that I would defend it is that it is a way that it's set up to guide you into this world that these people are living in right now, in which this one family is at the top, well, 
two families, I guess, the Baratheons and the Lannisters, right, are at the are at the top of everything. And the entire idea behind this Game of Thrones is that they are living in this world the way that it trickles down to the people below them. It's very explicit about how that works, right? About how prostitution is necessary, about how about why violence is in place in these societies, and it sets that up for the uh, what happens in the future. I mean, of course, it gets into the whole dragons and zombies and White Walkers, whatever. I mean, that's a that's like a completely different. The hot girl and dragons. Yeah, the hot girl and her dragons. Uh, <laughs> the way it sets that up is by giving you this baseline of how corrupt this world already is. And the way it, the destruction that happens afterwards is like tempered in a way because you see the need for this society to actually be brought down while at the same time having this greater threat of what's coming from the unknown like they can't possibly conceive of what's happening outside of their own their the game that they're playing while they're sitting at the top i think the the first season can be a little difficult in that way because it front loads a lot of that sexuality and violence and just and the gratuity of it all and just the way that the that this society operates it's hard to wrap your mind around this world but then once the the actual plot kicks in, it makes you realize, it makes you confront like what they were actually trying to do and say about that world. Charlie, what's your streaming guilty pleasure? If somebody wants to watch something and not really think, what would you suggest to people? We were talking earlier and I'd suggested Dirty John. Another really funny show that is sort of like Last Man on Earth where one episode is unwatchable and one is maybe the funniest thing you've ever seen is Letterkenny on Hulu. <laughs> uh, the Canadian. It's, it's sort of, I, I would I would liken it to Trailer Park Boys, but with a plot and with with a script. Those are, I would suggest, especially if you're if you're quarantined with your friends or family, just something really funny. What's your go-to guilty pleasure? Well, I'm not sure I have one. Honestly, <laughs> I agree with Charlie on this one. I don't really believe in guilty pleasures. Yeah, maybe you I like just, something. You like something. Maybe I just have. Maybe it. I have no shame. That's probably what it is. <laughs> uh, for, for things that I've been ridiculed for. I remember one time years ago, <laughs> Meredith, our friend Meredith, who's yeah. been on the show, said, "Look, man, you don't have guilty pleasures. You just like bad music." if you shift it from talking about guilty pleasures to like a show you don't have to think about that just that is just funny and enjoyable and and feel good is uh schitt's creek my wife and i discovered that one not long ago i mean we're not we've still got plenty of it to watch so that's good it's and it's sort of like a it's a default for us you know if like we've got nothing else that we're gonna watch we always go for that one that show Um, gets recommended to me more than probably any other show in the last six months it's just University yeah. loved by all of my friends that like good TV. If if you want to, if I wanted to shift it to like again, I have no shame, so it's not really a guilty pleasure. But the show that I watch that I just find inexplicably enjoyable, even though I know it's super weird, is uh, it's Bruno. <laughs> 
It's, uh, I mean, explain that show to me. I, I've had Rylan tell me like 50 times to watch it. I have not seen it. I don't know much about it. It's, it's all about this man. He's kind of a tough guy. He's like so intense, but he has this little, uh, like, uh, puggle. Is it a puggle? Anyway, um, that he's just in love with. His name is Bruno. Like, he gets special turkey for him to eat and, and stuff like that. But, like, you know, it's, it's, he lives in, uh, Brooklyn, I think Brooklyn, somewhere in New York. It, you know, there's like these kind of like usual cast of characters he encounters, like this homeless man and um, this other neighbor who who says that his the dog's name is Charlie because he you know because his dog fathered him and he said no his name's Bruno and it's really hard to explain you'd really have to watch it to know but once you watch it you'll see why I say like it's. A, a very bizarre show in terms of format. It looks pretty low budget, you know, and kind of lo-fi even. A- at some points, it's pretty smart, though. Like, it's... Like, on most levels, it shouldn't work because the protagonist isn't really likable. No, but Bruno. Like, Bruno <laughs> but, is so cute. So. But you... Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you understand his love for this dog so much that you can kind of follow along anyway. Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a really funny show. I I like it a lot. No, I think I like the protagonist honestly because he's so intense and he just doesn't take any <laughs> sh- from anybody. You know, I take a lot know, from a lot of people. Like so he's, he's, <laughs> he's kind of an. A- he like, is, but not and, for not for no reason. You but know? not for no reason. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Someone is threatening his dog, or <laughs> like infringing upon you know or disrespecting him or something like that you know yeah and there's a like that competitive level yeah between him and the uh the other dogs in the area right because yeah it's obviously the best that first episode where he just keeps having the showdown on the corner with the one guy that's so great bruno down (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the best i can do for a guilty pleasure man there is one thing, though, that I was thinking about, and this goes way back to something we were talking about a long time ago. So I, d- I don't know about editing podcasts, but I assume you can, like, splice this into <laughs> earlier conversation. Don't do it. Leave this conversation intact. One thing I can contribute to the whole uh, discussion of post-apocalyptic plots and fascination of, of people with these kinds of stories is something from ancient historiography. I don't know how much speech you remember from, from Thucydides. Speech and I, we had this class in college, Classical Civilizations, where we both read uh, Thucydides, Thucydides' uh, history of the Peloponnesian War, this war between Athens and Sparta and their allies, and pretty much all of the Greek city-states were either on one side or the other. But one of the, the things that Thucydides himself as a historian was really interested in was the extremities of human behavior. In extreme situations, what will people do? Because he kind of had this, this view of human nature that it's, it's pretty much static and it's always the same. And so... You can learn about people today by studying, by, by reading about what people did in the past, even, you know, thousands of years ago. When they're pushed to extremes, what will people do? And, of course, what happened in the Peloponnesian War is that uh, all of these 
Greek ideals about how people should behave, even in wartime, just broke down. And it just disintegrated into absolute brutality and sacrilege, you know? Thucydides was interested in that, and that's why he wanted. He thought it was important to write about that war, is that he, he wanted to examine human nature and what people will do when they're pushed to the limits of um, human mores, I guess. And these post-apocalyptic stories seem pretty similar. I mean, I, one movie that I never saw, if we're talking about movies, I never saw the movie, but I read the book. And because I read the book, I will never see the movie. Justin, can you guess what it is? The Road? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, yep. It took me 10 yeah. years to watch the movie, but I watched that. I, read I will that book never watch that because movie. Because I love Cormac I, McCarthy. I mm-hmm. love Cormac McCarthy. I saw it the month it came out. I know you probably didn't watch it, Charlie, and I read it until it came out on Oprah's book club. But um, <laughs> I, for many years, I didn't want to watch it. I will say it, it, it is a fine film, I, but I understand your reservations for, for not wanting to see the film. But I, I read the glorious. book. And I watched the movie, and I think the movie was probably slightly a little bit more hopeful than the book. Yeah, the book was both not are, very Both are excellent. <laughs> uh, it's set up to fail. Uh, that book sets up any movie to fail, but I think, I think they most did the Cormac best they could. Does. I think they did. Now, Charlie, give us why, why you refused to watch the film. Probably one scene, and it's spoiler alerts. Can can we talk about stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I assumed it's because you thought you wouldn't yeah. do injustice. You didn't watch the movie because you didn't want to see it. Yeah, that, because okay, it was okay. so disturbing to even read about. But, you know, when they go into the house and they go into yep. the cellar and they find these people who have been kept alive so that the people who have imprisoned them can eat them part by part. Yeah, I remember when I started to sit down and, and watch the movie, I wasn't looking forward to that part, and I certainly knew yeah. it was going to be in the film. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, I mean, you know, that's the kind of thing that Thucydides would have been interested in. Uh, in a way, he was, I mean, he's one of the earliest historians. He, he set a lot of standards for later historians. And he's actually, you know, in terms of like ancient historians, he's kind of a rare bird. There are only a few that like even attempted objectivity like he did. Not saying he achieved it in all respects, but he attempted it. But he was more of a, a social scientist, you know, he's, he was interested in human nature and human behavior. Behavior. And that's why I wrote about uh, about these things, especially in, you know, in these extreme circumstances like this 30 year civil war between the Greeks who thought of themselves as being you know the pinnacle of civilization they had all these rules about what to do in warfare you know after a battle you have this truce so people could bury their own dead um every time they talk about <laughs> the thing is that it seems almost like every time that thucydides mentions that someone seeks sanctuary inside a temple you know because you're not supposed to kill someone who sought sanctuary in a temple because that would be sacrilege every single time they're dragged out and and butchered so that really ultimately didn't matter to those people something like the road seems similar to me in that you're seeing people where society as we know it is gone and it's not even just survival i mean the the protagonist is trying to survive and he's trying to keep himself and his son alive but there are that most of the other people that they encounter are taking advantage of the situation, not just to survive. I mean, they're doing the things that they do to survive. They're eating other people to survive, but they're also going beyond that. And I find that really fascinating, the way that we, that sort of historical knowledge, the way that we 
kind of, in a way, we, we refuse to admit that that exists in society, right? Like, that it ever existed. And these things like the road and Mad Max and all these other sorts of bizarre future versions of what we are, like, we see trying to reconcile our, like, where we see our future going with where we were in the past. Yeah. Is just like a completely foreign concept to to how we think about things. No, I, I like and that 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 whole dynamic is just fascinating to me and I don't like it makes it so like the current times that we're living in are just like a still a complete unknown because I can like I hear these stories, I know what it was like medieval times or during these long wars and like how brutal people could be like human beings could be to other human beings how we reconcile that with a sustainable future is still just like i don't know where we could actually get to i have no idea Mm -hmm. and trying to imagine that sort of thing is just so we've seen like charlie has uh, referred to thousands of years, uh, we have this preoccupation with society sort of going off its rails. And to this day, I think it is ratcheted up. In previous generations, there's so much popular culture, film, television, and writing about the Cold War and what what might happen. And it's, we have been fascinated and preoccupied with that. And I think with the internet revolution and technology, I think that's ratcheted up uh, to different sort of intellectual audiences from The Walking Dead to This Is The End to, you know, highbrow things. It's a really interesting. The Road, for example. Do you guys think that for better or for worse, regardless of what happens, what has happened in the last couple of weeks in this country in the last few months around the world is going to drive popular culture, especially film and television and writing. This is going to have a profound impact on that over the next few years, right? We'll start with you, Justin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can see what's already happened when in terms of popular culture with what's happened with 9-11 and everything that came after it uh, and how it's shaped our view of politics. Everything that happened leading up to the Iraq war and Everything after it has, and that was, I think, relatively minor compared to, and and even if we're going to expand it to everything, we could also talk about the economic bubble that burst in 2008, right? Like the housing bubble, the way that that has shaped and informed not just pop culture, but the politics that surround it and the way that we view it. I mean, like our, uh, I think that. No matter no matter what happens, our future is going to be informed by our, the immediate past, no matter what the repercussions of that are. Charlie, what do you think the impact of, regardless of what happens from here, what do you think the impact of the last few weeks is going to have on popular culture? I think it'll sate the appetite for pandemic films <laughs> to some degree. Reminds me of a uh, a documentary I was watching about the, the history of hip-hop and how the song The Message was not something that most of the earlier, the early consumers of hip-hop, you know, people actually kind of living in that world would want to hear. Uh, because when they, when they heard hip-hop, they were looking for an escape. You know, they were looking for a party. They didn't want to be faced with the the harsh realities of the world they lived in. 
And so I think having lived through this, a lot of people won't, they're not going to be as curious about these sorts of situations. They may want, there may be a, a larger appetite for lighter fare, for things that are just, you know, aesthetically beautiful, maybe less gritty. To bring it back, though, to to Game of Thrones and the violence and the purpose I, I, I see in that, I feel like human beings really need, we as, as, a, as a species, really need to have a, a mirror held up to us so we can see what we're capable of. We can see all of our, our warts and blemishes and, and ugly spots. Because without that, without that understanding of ourselves, we put ourselves at risk of, to, to repeat sort of a trope of we we run a risk of repeating the path we'll be back with you yeah. soon guys hope you enjoyed the recommendations charlie justin appreciate it i hope everybody stays safe happy watching